You're listening to a podcast from gravitychurch.com, Lodi, California. Today we're going to have a conversation. Now I know that's kind of hard to do because I'm up here and you're down there, but there's a lot of people in the room today that have something to share. And so we're going to have kind of a, a group chat, if you will, about some really, really crazy things that have been happening in our lives and, and over the course of the last little bit of time. So open up your hearts and get ready to interact. Even though you don't get to actually have a microphone, all of you, interact with your hearts and your feelings and make sure that you, you prepare to dialogue, especially after church and especially with our website. Get on there and blog. Our church website is gravitychurch.com, and I invite you to get on there, register, and begin to interact with the great things that God is doing so that we can hear your thoughts and we can hear your feelings and we can participate and celebrate when you enjoy the good things that God is doing in your life. It's, inc- it's incredibly awesome when a community of people can get together and can involve each other in their lives. It's very powerful. So this morning, we're going to talk in our conversations about the bigness of God. I don't know about you, but I am amazed sometimes at how small I really am and how big God can be when he shows himself to be involved in certain situations in life. As a matter of fact, in the book of Colossians, we get a little glimpse of the bigness of God. In Colossians chapter 1, it says this. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all, and he is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, excuse me, kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began. And check this out. He holds all creation together. That's pretty big. God is big. The bigness of God. I had the privilege um, about a year and a half ago to travel down to L.A. with a group of college students, and we went to a conference that was called the, Co- the Passion Conference. And many of you may have heard of the Passion Organization. They're just fantastic people who have a heart for college students, and they go all across America and actually worldwide now, and they get on college campuses, and they begin to spread the love of God and to begin to tell the story of Jesus. And... There's a guy that kind of headed it all up. His name is Louis Giglio. And one night, Louis was talking to us in this, in this auditorium down in downtown L.A. And he was talking to us about the bigness of God. But he started to talk about how God paints our lives, yours and mine. And when he paints our life, he uses a really big canvas. And sometimes you and I only see about this much of the picture at any one time. We don't see the whole thing. We just see about this much. And he was talking about how different things you and I go through, if we were to judge the picture based upon the moment that we live in right now, some of us would would say our picture is really ugly. Our picture is really hard. Our picture is really broken and messed up. But if we allow a little bit more of the picture to be shown, as we step back a little bit more, we begin to see the beauty that God is actually painting and how we see the picture, the more life goes on and the more we walk with God and learn to live with God. He was talking about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, in that moment of time, 
all of the followers of Jesus that had given their lives to him for the previous three years, they thought their life was over. They thought the ball game was done. They thought that it was, it was over and that they had wasted their lives because their, their, their Savior, the master that they had given their lives to, just died in front of them. And all they could see was this much of the picture. It was a tragic day for them. It was a day that they would never want to relive. And yet, it's that same day that you and I look back on now, 2,000 years later, that is the most beautiful day that we've ever experienced. It's the day that our lives were changed forever, just like the songs that we just sung. So how can one person be in the moment and be going through literal hell on earth, and we, 2,000 years later, can look back at that same moment and go, oh, what a beautiful experience. It's because God paints our lives on a really, really big canvas. And sometimes we've got to go through some stuff before we get to see exactly what the picture looks like. Are you guys with me? Well, today we've got some really cool stuff to share with you because God has been busy painting some stories of some people's lives over the last several years. Zach, come on up here for a second. You guys know Zach. Come on, give Zach a Yahoo. Give him some love. We're going to give Mike, Zach a microphone. This is scary. I don't know if we, we should do this, but... Can I scream? Yeah, you can scream. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you. That's all you get. Unless you ask nicely. Many of you guys that have been here for a while know Zach. I've gotten to know Zach over the last couple months as, as Sean and I have been a part of the church body here. But Zach's got a pretty amazing story, and I want you all to know that I am completely putting him on the spot. He hasn't rehearsed this. He doesn't know what I'm about to ask him. All he knows is that I said, hey, can I bring you up in front of everybody and ask you a few questions about the things that are happening in your life? And he very courageously said yes. So if he kind of stumbles a little bit, because it's Zach, make sure that you boo him and let him know that he's, no, just, or just laugh at his improper jokes. It's all, it's all good. So Zach, I want you to tell us just really briefly where your life has been over the last year and a half or so in coming to Lodi. How did you come to Lodi and find your way here at this church? How? <laughs> we want to know how we Just briefly, how did you get here? It started out, we come to visit some family down in Barstow, and we ended up coming up here. Okay. And then we started coming to church, and they left, and I stayed, and that's the rest of the story. Okay, let me ask a little more specific question. What's your relationship with Danny Randall? Not good, no. <laughs> he, he likes to talk a lot, you know. Yes. Gets annoying. Have to slap him around at home a lot, you know. No, it's good. It's really good. Put the mic a little closer to your mouth. Is that good? <laughs> When Zach was a little boy, Danny was raising him as his father. But you and Danny don't have any blood relation, is that right? Yeah. So Danny was raising... No, we do. Oh, you do have? His, his real brother, Danny Jr., is my brother. <laughs> this is going to be really messy, guys. <laughs> really messy, I'm telling you right now. Okay. Do you want me to break it down? Not really. Okay, so when you were being raised by, as a young child, how, how old were you when Danny Sr. came into your life? The day of birth. Okay. How old were you when you were separated from him? Three. 
three years old. And how many times had you had a chance to see Danny Sr. over the last several years since you were three years old? A year ago. <laughs> a year ago. Okay, now we're getting somewhere in the story. Thank you, Zach. A year ago, Danny Sr., who raised Zach as his son, keep this up here by your mic or it's going to make some strange noises, raised Zach as his son until you were three years old, right? Yeah. You were separated, yeah. right? Okay. Danny, would you come up here? You got some tissue? We got some tissue, because I'm going to need it. Okay, Danny, would you please fill in a little bit of the story now? Um, 20 years ago. Aww. 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 20 years ago, this, this kid right here was brought into my life. And uh, I don't know if uh, any of you can kind of comprehend the feeling of I got together with his mom and she was like four months pregnant and what it's like to give your heart to a child that you know isn't yours. But uh, I did that, you know, and I was 16 years old and he came into my life and he stole it. He basically stole, stole my heart from the very first moment he was out, you know. And, um, but I was caught up, you know, I was very young, I was 16, I was caught up in drugs and alcohol at that time. And, I had him until he was about three and a half. And in that time, we had another son, Danny Jr., which is his brother, which he was trying to explain. <laughs> and uh, uh, at about three and a half, uh, his mom decided that that was enough. And she packed him up and took off on a plane when I wasn't home. And that was the last time I saw him for 15 years. And then about a year and a half ago, I get up in the morning and there's a message on my answer machine and it's from Danny Jr. and he says uh, hey dad we're in Huntington Beach and I had prayed I had prayed that I would see him again that God would restore this relationship with my boys it was like one of the the biggest holes in my heart and all of a sudden it was tangible because they'd been in Kansas all this time and you know being on parole I couldn't go out of state and just I mean different circumstances and so I remember grabbing the phone, and I'm like, okay, what do I do with this phone? What do I do with this message? How do I process this? And then so immediately I went to my cell phone, and there was a strange number on there. And uh, I called it back, and I got, I got his brother Danny on the phone. And I didn't know that Zach at first was with him. I had no idea. And I had tried to keep a relationship with him and Danny Jr. over the years. But because of mom and different circumstances, they never let me really talk to him. So this whole time, he's thinking that he's not my son, that I don't love him, that, you know, I've never tried to reach out and find out about him. So anyways, flash forward. So I get this cell phone. I, I get on there, and I, I call Danny Jr., and, and I go, where are you at? And he goes, man, we're at Huntington Beach. And I go, then that means you're in California. And I just, I broke because now I can get to him. I said, okay, where are we going to meet? How are we going to do this? And we met in Bakersfield, and, you know, I had the opportunity to, to have a couple or below, below Bakersfield. It Bakersfield. Okay, my son's going, no, Dad, it was below Bakersfield. It was some town called, like, Walmart. Wally, Wall, Walmart. Anyways, so somewhere down south we met, and, um, you know, we brought him up here. And for a couple of weeks it was, it was really hard for me because I wanted to be his friend, but I knew that I still had to be his dad and there was some stuff going on in their lives that, you know, was not acceptable. So 
it was really hard for me to, to, to make that transition. And one night God just spoke to me and he said, you know what, just share with them. Share who you are. Share your story with your boys. And so I did, and there was four other young people there at that time. And that night, all five of them gave their life to the Lord. And Zach ended up staying and being involved in the church, and that's where we are right now. Now, <clears throat> can you tell they love each other? It, yeah, father and son to the core. So I've gotten to know Zach a little bit, and I obviously we all know Danny and his story and what he's, he's blessed us with his ministry here and everything. Well, we've had a really, really cool week, and, and Zach's had another very interesting set of circumstances happen over the course of this last week. And Zach, can you tell us how this all went down this last week? Uh, it started out with my friend Michael. He comes to church here. He's not always here, though, but he stayed the night, and we were looking up stuff for iPods. Weird, right? But uh, then he's all like, dude, do a search on my dad, see if I can find him. I was like, okay, we'll do this. We started searching for, you know, 30 minutes or so, and I was like, dude, I have all the information on my biological father. He's like, really? Yeah, go get it. And so we went and got it, searched for about an hour, hour and a half, and we found him on MySpace of all places. What'd you do? Well, I added him, and then right after church last week, uh, we got home, and he accepted my request, and I ended up calling my mom, and I was on the phone with my mom, and he was on the IM at the bottom, and I said, hey, how's it going? And then he got off of there, and then I was talking to my mom, and he sent me a message through the messenger, and I started reading it to my mom, and Michael and this is kind of fruity for me. He, he's over here doing this. He's all, oh, and I'm like, dude, get off me. <laughs> kind of scared me for a little bit there. I'm like, we're back off. And then I started reading the rest of it to my mom. And I was like, yeah, this is him. And that's how I found him. So did you, did you message him? Yeah, I messaged him right and, back. And, and did he re respond? Yeah. What did you say when you messaged him? Well, basically... The same stuff he said to me about brothers and sisters, and I explained all that to him. They but you knew it was him? Yeah. Okay. Mike, why don't you come on up here? You guys get to meet Zach's biological father, Mike, this Woo! morning. So, Mike, how are you this morning? Great. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Crazy story, huh? Oh, it's amazing. Um, I'm shaking, so give me a sec. Um, it's so strange how this all happened. I was, uh, I had just come home from church, and I'd say three, four days before that, I was praying. And I've always prayed for him, not knowing where he was or how he was doing. And, uh, You know, I was praying that, that, you know, Lord, let me be in this child's life somehow, some way. Get me in there, you know. Open this door for me somehow. And if it be your will, you know, just 
I'm gonna sit back and let you take the wheel and I'm coming for the ride, so. And sure enough, here on MySpace, I use it to talk to other Christian bands and music and, and stuff and I was checking my emails and it's Thackeray is his MySpace name and I'm like, oh, here's a new Christian band, you know, and I click on there and, and there's a picture of him and I'm like, and it just, my jaw dropped to my stomach and I'm like, my wife's like, what, what? And I'm like, <laughs> and you know, I couldn't even talk. And she goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, she says, what's wrong? And I'm like, I think the Lord has answered my prayer. <laughs> you know, like, convinced beyond belief. And uh, we did the instant message thing. And sure enough, it was him. And I just, you know, I'm sitting there crying. And, you know, just like he was... You know, and just sitting there, not knowing what to say, shocked beyond belief. I had no idea what to, what do I say, you know? Here, my prayer's answered, and now I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say to the guy. And I've had a million questions going through my head, and at that moment, I was blank. Like, what do I do? What do I say? It's okay, I was too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... You know, his grandmother came in and said, what's going on? What's, what's all the freak out about? And I'm like, well, Zach found me. And she just, okay, load up the car. Everybody get it, get your bags packed. And I'm like, hold on, you know, hold on. Let me talk to him a little bit. And uh, so I, you know, I said, well, your grandma wants to come see you. And he's like, whoa, that's really soon. And I'm like, okay, let me talk to grandma and see what she says. She says, no later than Thursday. So three days later, we're packed in the car and we're on our way up here. And I'll tell you, it's just, it's been amazing, you know, even to, to see everybody. And uh, like, like Dan said before, we weren't walking the path of the Lord. And this, this wouldn't have worked. We'd be at each other's throats before. You know, we wanted to probably kill each other a few times. And... Uh, I, I really truly believe that the Lord waited because he wanted us to be in the right state of mind, on the right path, not wanting to kill each other. <laughs> you know, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, and I just want you to know this is how God works and everybody kind of knows my past and, and, and how, I, how I am. And I have, from the minute I've talked to Mike, I've never had no animosity at all towards him, which is just a, just a miracle. But one of the things I think we kind of left out of the story a little bit was that Zachary was supposed to go home and visit his mom in Oklahoma. He hadn't seen her for about a year, so he's really excited to go back. So, you know, we get online, get him an airplane ticket, and uh, let's drive him all the way to Sacramento at like 4 in the morning. His ticket ends up getting canceled. And uh, so he sets in the airplane for like seven hours in the, in the, at Sacramento Airport before we can go back and pick him up. Thank you, by the way, for that, Mike. Um, so we go back and pick him up, and it was crazy because Zachary just told me, he said, you know what, Dad, when, when one door opens, when God closes one door, he opens another one. That's what he told me. And then two days later, here he finds Mike on, on MySpace, you know, so. Danny, just in, in closing, tell him what God spoke to you when he walked through the door about the dads. 
Oh, I, w I was sitting there, and for me, it was like kind of a tough deal, I mean, right away, because I was like, okay, am I losing a son? I mean, that's just the natural, you know, it was just the natural way I felt. And then God just flipped at my heart so fast, and it was like, you know what? The compassion and the love that I have for Zachary, it was like, okay, now this young man a year and a half ago had no dads, and now he has three dads. He has me, he has Mike, and he has his Heavenly Father. Amen. And I'm so, so thankful for that. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Is that awesome or what? Is that just a crazy example of the bigness of God? How big God is. I just, I don't know. I don't know if you guys are like me, but... Sometimes I just trip out on God. I just sit back and I just go, for really, God? You can do this. You can do all this stuff. Because you and I are so limited in our, our minds, in our beliefs, in our hopes, all that stuff. And God, in a moment's notice, can just come in and just rearrange everything and just, it's, it's, he's big. God is big. There's somebody else that we're gonna talk to this morning. Somebody that I am really excited to share with you. Because one of the things that God has really, really specifically put on my heart for this church is the fact that we are not going to be a church that stays within these walls and just tries to do the things that you and I want to do with each other. God has called us to come here together, to open our hearts up to him, to worship him, but then to go out into the places that we live life and to bring God right into it. This, this last week, Tuesday night at Lawrence Park, many of you, lots of you, it was fantastic, had an opportunity to go live life with the homeless people of Lodi and to bring them food and to bring them the things that they need. But we did even more than that. We sat with them and we had a conversation we got to know them. We had a, we, they had a story that we began to listen to. And then we had a chance to pray with them because they were going through a really difficult circumstance. Last week, one of, their, one of their longtime people in their community died under the bridge. And so last Tuesday night, as we were there giving them food, they were also using an opportunity to, to celebrate Lodi Lori's life and have a memorial service for her. And we got to witness it. We got to be a part of it. We got to interact with them and to experience the pain that they were going through and to be able to pray with them and to be able to love them and to be able to try to, in some way, help them through their grieving time. It didn't happen in the walls of this church, did it? No, we had to go. We had to go and become a part of something that's bigger than us. There's another group of people here in the city of Lodi that are doing in my opinion, one of the best youth outreaches that I've ever seen. I was a youth pastor here at this church for, for many years, and I dreamed in my mind of what I see happening over at the 118 Center on Lockford Street. People in this congregation sitting here right now are gonna hear what Jake has to say in a few moments about the, God, about the God story that's happening over there. And some of you here are gonna feel something come alive when he talks. Some of you here are gonna go, I wanna give my life to that. 
I want to participate with that. I want to be a part of what's happening over there. And I just want you to know that that's why God's put us here. That's what we're supposed to do. So when you, when you feel that, don't be afraid to respond because God is bringing us to a place where he can send us out and do what he has in his heart to do because God's got a big story to tell and we've got to play a part of it. Jake, would you come up here? I'm gonna turn the microphone over to Jake and he's gonna share with us just a little bit about 180. All right. Well, I am no order, so I, I generally write things down. I'm a little ADHD. So if I, it looks like I'm reading off my, off my page. I am um, <laughs> because I'm just, I just can't come up with things off the cuff. Man, the bigness of God, what a beautiful story that was, you guys. Thank you. I feel like, you know, kind of some of the things that I have to share seem somewhat trite. I mean, but, but God's doing things all around, amen? That's awesome. Um, how many of you guys have heard the following question? There is nothing to do for our teenagers in Lodi. You guys heard this question, heard, heard, heard this said. Is it, where, what is there to do for, for our kids in Lodi? You guys have heard this? How many of you guys have seen it in the newspaper? Some version of that question, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you had your ear to the ground at all over the last couple of years, it's a big question that's going around is, what is there to do? We don't have anything to do. And it turns out um, that's a question that's fairly common. Um, I grew up in, you got, everybody familiar with the Lake Tahoe area, Truckee? Um, that's where I grew up. Um, and I had the world outside my back door. I had just these, this, this beautiful place. I could mountain bike, I could fish, I could swim. Um, and, and my entire life, I wanted one thing, and that was to get out of that town because it was boring and there was nothing to do there, and I, wa- I wanted to go experience the world. Um, this, this is a common question, but it's a question that we ask a lot in our community, and I think rightfully so. Um, we've got a lot of kids wandering around the streets. You walk around, you, you see them. Um, you wonder what their stories are. Um, and so seven years ago, two local youth pastors are watching these kids, and they're over by the Sunset Theater, and they're like, wow, there's these kids walking around. What do we do? What do we do? We wonder what their stories are. We want to get into their lives. We want to figure it out. And, uh, and so seven years, the goal was let's provide something for, for these kids to do. So through the support of the local body of Christ, through this community, um, seven years ago, the 118 Center opened its doors. Because God's big, it didn't happen over at Sunset Theater. It happened at the old post office on Lockford Street. Um, we lease that building today for a dollar a year, just an idea of, of how big God is. Um, so we're able to, to, to do what we do over there with the only overhead really is they pay me and a few of the other staff. And so I'm always like, man, I, I'm, we're trying to figure out a way to uh, even bring that down. Um, we would love to be able to do what it is that we do for as little money as possible. But God is huge. God is big. We're a cafe. Um, every day after school, we invite kids. Uh, we, we open up from 2.30 to 5.30. We have espresso. Um, we've got pool tables. We've got internet. We've got all that stuff going on after school. We're there with them. We have an 8,000-square-foot skate park in the back of, of 180. It's been open the last seven years as, you know, the, the park on Hamley, which is beautiful. It's a brilliant park, but it's closed, and it's open, and it's closed, and it's open. We've been there the entire time, and so we've gone through that fluctuation, you know, for a couple years. We're like, oh, man, there's 60 kids here every day skating, and then, and then the park opens back up for a year. I'm like, oh, okay, there's 10 kids out here skating. You know, we need to go over to Kofu, and, you know, it closes, and it opens. We've been there the whole time. We've got the cafe, we've got the skate park, and we've got our live music venue that we do on Friday nights and sometimes on Sundays. And we see as many as 200 kids coming through our doors every Friday night um, to come see that. Yeah, come see their, yeah. And that's a scene that I know you guys are really familiar with around here as Dan is uh, promoting local bands and stuff. It's awesome. We're seeing the local music scene kind of build up. And how beautiful is it that, that there's followers of Jesus at the center of that whole thing? Um, I, I love that. 
But this morning, in the presence of people who follow Jesus, I have to admit that most of what I've just told you seems pretty shallow. Because really, uh, uh, if the bottom line is if, that, if, if all 180 is, is just an opportunity for kids to come and be entertained, then, then that's nothing. Then we're not doing our job. Then we're not. If all 180 is, is just a place for kids to be, then that's nothing. Then we're not truly following Jesus. The God that I know and that I've come to love is a God who sees and hears and feels the suffering of his people. He's, he's a God who, in the presence of, of, of overwhelming odds, emptied himself of his own nature to enter into our world and our lives and our pain. That's what he did. Philippians 2 says that he entered into our world and our lives and our pain. And the most wonderfully frustrating thing about that is that he didn't just come to this world just to rescue us. A lot of times we think it was that God came down to rescue us. God came down to save us. That's not all he did. He came down. Instead, he came to experience our pain. He came to experience our suffering. He came to become one with what's going on in our lives. In this way, God becomes what we would call the epitome of love. He is love. When we say God is love, that's what we're saying. He came to experience, to join with us, to come in with solidarity with us. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself and became one of us. He emptied himself of his godness. So if I'm called to be a follower of Jesus, then I, then I can't just accept his love, right? I can't just intellectually say, yes, I believe it's true. I have to, I, I have to follow Jesus. I have to respond to this radical act of love. I have to learn to duplicate that love. And as I learn more and more about the character and nature of the person that we follow, I, I realize that loving these kids Loving humans becomes profoundly difficult because if I'm going to behave as Christ, then, then I can't offer an easy solution. I can't just save people. I can't just preach, right? I have to come alongside and I have to start to live. And hearing that story and hearing what's, what's going on in, in your guys' lives, and I mean, Dan, that's what you did. And you lived your life for, for this child. And Hopefully for us, that's, that's what, we're, what we're doing. It's not easy. It's profoundly difficult. But what Jesus did was anything but easy. So the 180 Teen Center is initially predicated on the idea that these kids need some place to be and some place to go, and our job is to save them. And so awesome things. A building was procured, dollar a year, amazing. We, we, we get together. We bring all these kids in. One night, I had 30 kids come forward and kneel down and accept Christ, which was a beautiful thing. I mean, it was, it was in one night we had this many kids in our, in our church, our planting church, put all these flowers on the piano, and it was amazing. All these kids got saved, and we're so excited. And, and everything grew, and everything looked really great. But little by little, we began to realize that something was amiss because while these students are making a show of faith, and they're saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, What's going on is that for the most part, their lives continued to look very, very broken. They were continuing to live their lives in the way that they were before. Even though they're in our discipleship programs, they're following the steps, their lives are still looking broken. They're still doing drugs. They're still dropping out of school. They're still struggling. They're delinquent. They're being incarcerated. All these things are going on. It's almost as if they've been saved, but they were still lost. How many of you guys remember in the newspaper a couple years ago, there was this story about a girl who was downtown, and, 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 and she had drank too much, and they found her, like, in the alley. She was almost dead. You guys remember this? Yeah. We knew that girl. We knew her really well. She used to come to the teen center all the time. And over the course of, like, five years, I swear she had accepted Christ 20 times. I mean, she was, she was all about it, and, she, and it was heartfelt, and I believe it was true. I believe it was real. 
And so we, we built a relationship with this girl walking alongside her. What winds up happening, and we, our whole entire worlds were rocked when we found out that she was driving back from Antioch with one of her friends. And uh, they were coming home from a party. And, and they got into an accident. And she lost her life. It became really clear to us that something about what we were doing had to change. And it wasn't just us. It was the entire body of Christ. Something about the way we're, we're doing this has to change. You see, through this situation and countless other situations like this, it became clear that we had to change what we were doing. And James, God's word in James gives us some light. James 2, 14 through 17 says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. If you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. James is touching on the reality that th- that's only through a true interaction with the person's real felt needs, the things that are really going on, that we can begin to have any real impact in these kids' lives. And so we had to reshape everything. The kids that are coming through the doors of the teen center are primarily at risk, and that's a fancy way of saying, and, uh, and there's a whole terminology, the way you define it, the way we define it is that there are familiar, familial, environmental, and socioeconomic factors that have shaped the way they view the world and how they choose to live in it. Basically, life is really crazy, it's screwed up, right? And they're walking through the door with all these problems going on. And so in the past several years, it's become overwhelmingly clear to us that unless we're willing to enter into these kids' lives and, and enter into their world and seek to understand and learn their stories and come alongside we have little to no chance of leading them to new life in Christ. So with this in mind, what we've done is we've spent the last two years completely reorienting ourselves. We've made a, a seismic shift in the way we do things. And all those programs, the live music venue, the skate park, all those things still exist, and they still draw students through the doors, and we're still there. But what we've done is we've, we, we still teach the message of Jesus, and we believe that it's powerful. But we also recognize that those things are only the beginning of what winds up being a really long process for these students and their families of changing. And that process has to include counseling, right? At-risk students have gone through an immense amount of pain and suffering. How do you deal with a loss of a friend? How do you deal with it when, when your mom dies of congestive heart failure? How do you, how, we've, we've got kids that are cutting and kids that are dealing with, with eating disorders and kids that are dealing with all manner of things. What are the reasons and how do you deal with these things? It's got to include counseling. It has to include real life training. So many of our kids, you say the word college and they look like they just saw a ghost, right? You say, you say the word get a job and they look, they look like they want to run screaming the other direction. It's because nobody showed them. Nobody's taught them how to do a job. Nobody's, nobody's told them that, hey, college is maybe an option, right? We take these kids on a co- onto a college campus, and, and they're, they're, they're freaked out. It, this was never a part of their thinking, right? So we're opening their eyes to these things. It has to include training. Most of all, the process has to be long-term. These kids have to know that they can come and be a part of what's going on. Something, that can, something can happen, they can leave, and they can go back five years later, and we're still going to be there. We have to have mentors that are going to be willing to be committed to these kids for the long term, for the long haul, for the 15 years of life that they're going to live in your presence, right? And so that's, that, that, that's, what, that's why at 180, it's not just about being a place anymore. We train our staff to be mentors who can help rebuild some of the broken support structures, who will be there for these kids. We've brought on a marriage and family therapist. Beautiful. I'd love to share so much more with you guys. Actually, there's a lot of story to share. We've got this house next door that, that we just purchased and we're in the process of purchasing and God's provided a lot, of, a lot of money for us to be able to do that. We're opening that up as a, as a full-time counseling center 
where we can, we can focus on adolescents and their families. Um, marriage and family therapist we've brought on who has an on-site office, and she's providing individual and family counseling. Um, we've got substance abuse programs, gang, gang intervention programs, anger management programs, all these things that we've added to what we're doing. And it re- to me right now, honestly, I'm completely overwhelmed. Because there's a ton going on, but we believe this is what God's led us to, and he's bringing us the resources, and he's bringing us the people to be able to do that. We believe at 180 that in the process of working through real life with these kids, that they're going to see Jesus. Even when everything looks like it's coming crashing down around them. Even when life looks completely chaotic, we believe the goal for us at 180 is to not just tell these kids about Jesus, but to wrap them in as many ways as we can in the love of God. And so that's what we're all about at the Teen Center. Now, there's a couple ways um, that you guys can, can come alongside and, 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 and get involved over there. The first, obviously, is just prayer. Um, we would love to be, be added to the, to the daily ministry of prayer that you have going on in your church and in your lives. Um, the second is we need people. Um, 2,000 kids a month. We, we, we need mentors. We need people that are willing to come in, submit to a background check, get trained, and, and be one-on-one with these students. It's a long process. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a hard process because we have to make sure that our mentors are, are, are the types of people that are going to impact these kids in a positive way and not a negative way, but we need those mentors. We need people that are willing to commit, okay? It costs us $1.80 per day per student to keep the teen center open. That's what our budget is. So if you search through your pockets this morning and you, and you pull out what, what amounts to half a Starbucks or a, a few gumballs from, from, from your kid for a gumball machine, right, that pays for one student to be able to use the facilities and the programs at the teen center for one day. And we've, we've gone around to churches. We've said, okay, $1.80. If everybody has $1.80, put it in this helmet after. And we've, we've seen like $1,500, $2,000 come in. If everyone in the body of Christ were just to give $1.80 one time a month, 180 would never have any financial need. And I know that's true for a lot of the different nonprofits that are in this community, okay? Huge power in the body of Christ to be able to make these things go. Um, The last way that we really need help is we just purchased this house. And we've we've been able to miraculously, we've raised $29,000 in a month, um, which there's a whole story to that too. Um, And I'd love to share, there's a lot more that I could share with you guys. Love to share with you you afterwards. but we raised $29,000 to buy the house, and now we have this old house that was built in 1912, and, you know, it's kind of fallen apart, and, and we need to get it ready to, first of all, house our offices and house our counseling center, and second of all, house one of our interns. So there's some construction we need to do. We need to find some appliances. Um, all those things are kind of like coming full circle right now and freaking me out and stressing me out, but we know that God's big. Um, he's shown himself to be big as we're talking about the bigness of God. He's going to make it happen. We trust. He's going to do it through the body of Christ and through sources that we never realized. So those are some ways that you guys can get involved in what's going on at 180. I've got to tell you guys, it's amazing to be able to be a part of, of what's going on here at Zion this morning. Um, to be able to talk with Jason over the last several weeks and months, it sounds like God's doing amazing things here. Um, this is a congregation that I really see being, being a group of people that are really lighting the way for what it means to be incarnational, which means you are Jesus. You are the hands. You're, you're Jesus with skin on in our community. Keep doing that. Keep being that. It is an amazing, fantastic thing, and you guys are going to lead the way for the rest of the body of Christ to follow. Um, we're going to have communion here in just a second, and I've, I've been given the privilege to kind of lead out in that. Um, just as we're getting ready to come and take the elements and, 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 and share in what is the body and the blood of Christ, just remember, he did. He emptied himself 
and became one of us. And the calling for us is not just to accept that, but to start to live that and to start to empty ourselves and live amongst the people we live in, the community that we live in, and start to become Jesus to them. Let's pray. God, um, what a beautiful... (laughs) I'm just overwhelmed, Lord. I'm overwhelmed at the power that you've displayed here this morning, Lord, in bringing together a broken family, Lord. So much of what we see on a daily basis at 180 is is brokenness. It's broken families. It's, It's fathers that are not there. So many of these kids living with their grandparents, Lord, and here we have three fathers, Lord, three heavenly fathers. God, you are, you are amazing. You're showing yourself powerful. You're showing yourself strong, Lord. We know it's because you not only, you not only talk to us, you not only speak to us in your word, Lord, but you love us. And God, so many years ago, you emptied yourself to live among us to experience our pain, to experience our suffering, Lord. And, and even further, Lord, you went, you went where no one had gone before, Lord, to a cross where your body was broken, your blood was spilled, where you paid the price of sin for all eternity, Lord. So as we share in this communion, help us to recognize the magnificence of that gift, Lord, and help us to live and walk in a manner worthy of it. We pray these things in your son's name. As we come today to the communion tables that are set up all around to partake of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus gave, and as we come to offer our lives back to him through worship, through our giving, to open up our hearts and just focus on the bigness of God, how God comes into the ordinary and shows us that he is extraordinary. Why don't you come? Church.com.